Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Patty went off and did an interview with some other folks about critical thinking, so we thought this would be a great opportunity to share that information with you. It's uh, for everybody, just like the rest of the show, and uh, we really want to thank you for listening. We want to encourage you, if you like this kind of stuff, to donate to Forward Radio. Go to forwardradio.org, and you can absolutely donate time, talent, or treasure. Please enjoy our show, and we'll see you soon on 106.5 FM WFMP, Louisville, Kentucky. Dean Dr. Jerry Rabelais, Associate Vice President for Health Science Center Faculty Development at the University of Louisville. With me are my co-hosts, Dr. Stacy Sainer, Director of HSC Faculty Development, and Dr. Laura Weingartner, Director of Research, Faculty Health Professions Education. Once a week, we're going to come together to use this podcast to bring faculty development content to feed your hunger and satisfy your appetite so you can magnify your impact as an educator, clinician, researcher, and academic leader. I tell you, one thing I really like about this, Patty, is that this guy really seems like he practiced this, right? This, uh, the, the leader, what's his name? Jerry, Dr. Jerry Rabelais. Dr. Jerry Rabelais, well done, sir. I mean, I've got to say, very polished, um, just really, it really pops. I feel, I feel punched by the information, as they say, um, in the biz. So that was cool. That was cool. And um, we don't have an intro that's nearly as punchy. It's more of a long slap, I think, that people have probably already. People it's, probably like, it's like a massage down the side of their face. <laughs> it's not for everyone. But uh, OK, so that was just the introduction to this show that you were part of. You did a little uh, podcast appearance. Can you tell us what this was about? Yeah, so. Faculty Feed, which the listeners just heard the intro for Faculty Feed, is a podcast that is done by my colleagues at the Health Sciences Campus here at University of Louisville. And they pick a teaching topic and invite an expert that they interview related to teaching and learning. So they invited me to come talk about critical thinking and teaching. Oh, cool. And so uh, what we're going to do for this episode of critical critical thing for everyone is we're going to play this interview. It's a little bit shorter than the show. And periodically, uh, we're going to pause it. And Patty and I are going to comment on what's in there. Right. So that'll be that'll be interesting. Uh, You're seeing our first effort at this right now while you're hearing it anyway. So uh, we hope it's it's just awesome for you. I hope it is. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say as a matter of preface here? Um, The only thing I would say is since I was interviewed and I listened to the interview and I was like, wow, that actually sounded pretty good. I invite you, uh, what did I call? I was about to call you Robin. I invite you, (laughs) Brian, Brian, who I've known for 10 years to, I'll be interested to know your comments. Oh, sure. Commentary. Yeah, but not just me. We also want to invite all of the listeners uh, to reach out to us at Critical Thinking for Everyone on Facebook. Uh, and you can put some comments out there about what you think about whatever it was Patty said here or whatever our comments were as we went back on this. So, um, yeah, we hope that you find this useful. One of the things that I'll say that I think is pretty interesting is that you use very little critical thinking jargon. Yes. Yeah, that was interesting. I kept on waiting to hear more of 
the language come out and you mentioned that there was like technical vocabulary from time to time but you didn't use very much of it which i thought was no good. i did not i did not because i felt that might be distracting yeah maybe maybe it might it might um it might do a lot of things i think i hadn't really thought about it it's interesting that you um that you made a conscious effort ahead of time so I think it was semi-conscious. I think the reason I say that is because I think you and I learn to adjust how we talk about critical thinking for our, to our audience. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I'm, I, how much level of, just like you're teaching, how much level of detail, what do I assume about my audience? So you kind of just naturally adjust what you say and how much detail based on your audience and your purpose. Okay, well, let's see how this one went. We hope that you all enjoy it. Uh, we will be uh, popping in from time to time. So here we go. Today on Faculty Feed, we have Dr. Patty Payette. She is the Executive Director of the Quality Enhancement Plan and a Senior Associate Director at the Delphi Center for Teaching and Learning. Patty, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Today, we are going to talk about critical thinking. I mean, don't you love thinking about critical thinking? It's very meta. It is meta. <laughs> so before we jump into that, Patty, could you just tell us about your role here at UofL and what brought you to UofL? Sure. I have two roles. So the first one that you mentioned, the director of the Quality Enhancement Plan or QEP here at UofL, that is a multi-year initiative that UofL and every other school that's accredited through SACS are Southern Association of Colleges and Schools, our crediting body, asks every single institution to do a data-based improvement project around learning, five-year project. So I was hired back in 2007 to lead the first QEP at UofL, and that was on critical thinking, Yay! organizing, managing, assessing, um, as I like to call it, getting people to fly in formation. And people love change. As you know, they love change. So um, so managing the whole change process over multiple years is, is what I do. I so I wanted to stop and just ask you a question about that. When I heard that earlier, I thought that was an interesting way for you to characterize your role here at UofL. Managing change is what you do professionally. Yes, how does critical thinking help you with that or does it? Do you use a different set of tools for that? Oh, definitely. Um, first thing, when you ask that question, the first thing I thought of is it helps me consider other perspectives. So if you want to get any change done, you have to be proactively thinking about the interests and point of view of the other people involved, asking them their perspective and thinking about what what they care about. So that's a that's a real strong principle of change that I'm I'm sitting in the point of view of the the folks that I want to do something differently, you know. Okay. Okay. And so I mean change would come whether you did that or not, am I right? No. no? Uh, Peter I mean, Drucker, like Peter Drucker has a quote Culture okay. eats change for breakfast. Okay. So it's there all the time. Culture, if you aren't 
making decisions and navigating the culture in which you want change to happen. And yeah. culture is made up of people. Yeah. Uh, it's not a blob unto yeah. itself. Then change won't happen. But change would still happen. It just might not be managed change. I mean, you can't, I mean, yeah. change yeah. happens, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. CDC creates a mandate that people wear masks or an organization decide, you know, so I should say managing, having, uh, navigating change in, in a way to make, be successful. Okay. Okay. And so. Or fostering it. And so you're saying that that really is related to multiple points of view. Like that's the best way to, to make sure that what things go in the right, in the direction you want. Is that right? That's the, that was just the first thing answer that I thought of, but so critical thing you have to, you have to be considering the change situation from the different stakeholders involved. Okay. All right. Let's, let's hear some more then. That's okay. Thanks for All right. Spend some time at the Delphi Center. So I've gotten to know you and a lot of your colleagues over there. So let's jump in and talk about critical thinking. I think the first thing I would love for you to just define that for everyone. What is sure. critical thinking? I'll give you my favorite definition, knowing there are many definitions of critical thinking. So here's my favorite one. Thinking about your thinking while you're thinking in order to improve your thinking, which is Richard Paul, the late Richard Paul, a very well-known critical thinking scholar, philosopher. Critical thinking in tennis is thinking about your tennis while you're playing in order to improve your playing, right? That could click in in a different way. That works for everything, right? I mean, that's what we're always talking about on the show. I mean, that's, you can- Yeah, yeah, I just use tennis because I think it helps people grasp the concept. Yeah, I think, I think it's a great one. I think that helps a lot when people are thinking about their, um, thinking about skills. That's what, I was just at a workshop really recently and that's some, a point i was trying to make was this is supposed to be like a skill that we can develop yes we can work at it and get As better opposed to i mean what do you think about the idea that some people are just really good at this without training is that a real thing or is that just a perception or what do you think that's a really good question um well you can, hmm, I don't know. That's a good question. I'm just wondering, you know, because some, a lot of these skills, you know, there are a lot of anecdotal stories and maybe some of them are quite prominent in our culture of just people just being good at skills. You know, somebody just, just picks, picks up. Yeah, you, people might have a natural affinity, like you might have a natural affinity for something, but so you might have an affinity for some critical thing but to be a high level critical thing you'd have to work at it okay i don't think you talk about that in this in this thing what's a uh what's the difference between a high level and a low level critical thinker um i would say a high level critical thinker is one who's intentional about using critical thinking tools in their thinking every day every day Gotcha. Okay. Okay. As opposed to it just being accidental or something. Yeah. Or I just use it when I'm in a crisis. Okay. Okay. All right. So we're going to play some more wave at me. If you, 
if you okay have i will i will all right here we go everybody buckle up listeners but we can also be constantly monitoring and correcting and improving our thinking in the moment that is the process of critical thinking so i like that definition because it focuses on I love that. I was uh, at a conference this past weekend and my colleague, Dr. Russ Farmer, who was presenting with me for the card that we utilize here on the health science campus. And he described to the audience that critical thinking to him was when he is doing a surgery and he does cancer surgeries. And so when he's doing surgery, but he's concentrating on what I have to do to get the patient to not have to do chemotherapy. And so he's thinking forward and he's thinking about ways that he can do whatever he needs to do during that surgery to get to that outcome. I love that because critical thinking, uh, when you look at all the different scholarly definitions, one of the common denominators across the different approaches focuses on interpretation, analysis, and this real problem solving mm -hmm. kind of Okay, all right, we got to stop for a second because I'm being shown, uh, dear listeners, the card that was mentioned. I think there's a lot of things going on here in this name. And so um, some of it probably has to do with U of L. Some of it probably has to do with the fact that it is, in fact, on cardstock, it looks like. Um, but I think that there's something else going on here, which is the spelling. What is this? This is something that's put out by the Health Sciences Campus at U of L. Is that correct? Yeah. So you heard Stacy in the podcast right there a few minutes ago mentioned card, quard, but it's Q A R R D, car, card, and it's put okay. out by their their Office of Faculty Development that's at the Health Sciences Campus. Okay. okay. And card Q A R R D stands for questioning, aid for rich real time discussion. So the idea though is again. This isn't everything about critical thinking. Questioning in real time is a critical thinking move. Okay. And so they, they created, it says, asking questions of our learners is a core component of that teaching. How often do our questions only require factual recall? With the help of learning science, this guide was developed to introduce busy clinicians to the power of questioning as an effective teaching strategy. So the idea is they have these questions that they can use in their teaching. They have how questions, why questions, and what if questions. Okay. Okay. And these are all on a card. Yeah. Yeah. The card. I guess they can put in the pocket of like their white coat. Okay. Yeah. It is, it is kind of big, but yeah, maybe for a clinical pocket. It's, it's about the size of a, um, like a three by five card. Sure. Okay. Okay. And so, um, so this is the this is the sort of critical thinking aid that they have developed that has a lot of synergy between itself and the kind of critical thinking that you're normally talking about. Yes, okay. yes, it does. There's some overlap. They kind of use blooms. You and I lean into the Paul Utter framework yeah. of critical thinking. They kind of lean into blooms. Yeah, blooms isn't a critical thinking framework. No, it's not. It's a uh, it's a taxonomy of cognitive thinking skills, and they kind of use that from lower level to higher level. And yeah, anyway, that's a yeah. People, a, lot, a lot of people do that. Yeah. Q A R R D. 
Okay. All right. Well, that's what that is. And if you want to look that up, Health Sciences Campus has the, uh, I'm sure there's mention of it there on their website. Um, and uh, maybe some other folks are looking for such an artifact to assist uh, yeah. in real time. That's a, it's a pretty cool thing. All right. Here we, go. Here nice. we go. Yeah. Very nice. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad. That, I'm glad that that came out in the, in the interview. Here we go. Kind of, right. I'm making a judgment call, right. I'm using information I'm analyzing. So I love this idea of, I have an outcome in mind, whether I'm a surgeon, a teacher, a pilot, whatever, I have an outcome in mind. And so critical thinking is all the mental moves I'm doing in context to work toward that result. And so critical thinking can also be described as that collection of mental moves that you're mm -hmm. making. Like mental chess. That's exactly. I love it. Exactly. So are we taught how to think critically? If we're lucky, yes, but no, most of us are not taught, but the research shows it is actually, it is a learned skill. You mm -hmm. can learn to be a better thinker. A lot of us are taught to be chess player Players, level right. thinkers in our disciplinary realms. And so part of what the tools of critical thinking can do for you, if you're really attuned is how do I take that same sort of next level thinking into all areas of my life? So the more that you can lean into understanding the mental moves, the more you can transfer them into other parts of your life. Wow. So here on the HSC, obviously we are doing lots of clinical skills and clinical learning is going on here. Um, and we talk to our faculty and learners about clinical reasoning. So what is the relationship between clinical reasoning and critical thinking. Think of reasoning as I have reasons for the conclusions I draw. I have reasons for my opinion. I have reasons why I make this choice. So reasoning is I'm not just going with my guts. I'm not just spouting off the first thing, right? I can point to the reasons behind my thinking. So if we think of clinical reasoning as the relationship between critical thinking, a lot of those reasoning is those same sentimental, same set of mental moves, but we move them into the clinical context. So in every single area of critical thinking, whenever I'm doing it, I'm getting information. So let's just start with that. That's one of the first basic moves. I'm getting information. So what that looks like in a clinical setting is contextual, right? And there's, there's ways that clinicians seek, get information right observation, taking histories, their own disciplinary knowledge that they're drawing from, sort of they can go to A to Z very quickly, gathering information. So what that looks, so clinical reasoning can be a very specific way we gather information in that setting. So that, that's exactly right, Patty. Uh, in a clinical setting, uh, we have the thing called the history, which is uh, where the patient, or in our case in pediatrics, where the parent gets to describe the illness uh, that that they're seeking some some advice about, and um, then there's a physical examination that gathers additional information by actually touching and examining the patient, and then finally there are laboratory tests that may have been done already, or laboratory tests we're going to do that's more information, but then it gets really fun after that because <laughs> all you've done to that point is collect a lot of information, so a seasoned clinician is already the wheels have already started turning in terms of what's likely and what's not likely. 
but the real critical thinking doesn't start until you have to provide the evidence for, ground the assumptions that you're making in fact, and ask yourselves, okay, now given all of that, what do I do with this? What does this sound like? What does this look like? What's the next step from a diagnostic standpoint and then from a treatment standpoint? So what you have described is exactly the process that we go through as we try and sort out the clinical puzzles that present in front of us. And so our job is to teach learners on the health science campus how to do that. It, it would be inadequate for us to just to say, what's that artery, what's that vein, what does this chest X-ray reading look like? It has to be more than that because, or if the past two years have proven anything to us, the information just keeps changing and the ability to interpret and apply that information in new situations and whatever the next pandemic is gonna be five years from now, what do we learn from this one? How do we apply to that? We have to teach them how to deal not just with today and with facts, but with how do I reason through it so I can be ready for whatever comes down the line? And so what you've described is exactly what we do day in and day out. So, I mean, I love that, but the question comes down to how do we teach learners how to, you know, maybe shortcut some of the uh, craziness of years and years and years of trying and failing and trying and failing. Is there a way we can teach this critical thinking skills to our learners? I would say their critical thinking, skill building can provide you with some strategies that are core strategies that you could lean into. And you may be already doing them. Okay. So we're just going to stop there for a second. That's been a big chunk of this. If people want to listen to this thing all the way through without our, you know, editorializing and commentary, then you can go to um, the faculty feed. I think that's like a cafeteria. I'm not sure. The faculty feed, which is a podcast at the University of Louisville put out by the HSC Office of Faculty Development. We are enjoying it on Spotify, but there are many outlets for the faculty feed. Yeah, yeah. the whole interview is there. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we're, we're going to get to listen to most of it, but I wonder, so there was a lot there of discussion. Do you remember what that guy's name was who was talking? Dr. Jerry Rabelais. Okay. Oh, same, same guys before. Okay. Same, same Dr. Rabelais. Okay. So what do you think about his, um, his comments? I mean, I, I, I mean, you're, you're about to comment on his comments, I guess you're going to follow up whatever you say here in a second, but having just heard them again, I mean, do you have any response, anything fresh? Um, I think, uh, when he said, you know, doctors go into the clinic and exam and they have to take a patient history. Um, and he said, you know, they're puzzling it out. You know, they're trying to puzzle out the clinical situation. Sure. I have sometimes felt like my doctors in those scenarios, I, uh, I felt like my doctors are kind of doing this independent thinking that's totally mysterious to me. Huh. And I'm like, I'm like the subject, but I have no. So sometimes I actually will start. I have started over the years asking my doctor, well, why do you recommend this versus that? Okay. And what do you, what does that procedure do? Okay. Right. Like I start asking them to make their thinking visible. Right. We call that explicitness in critical thinking, right? We yeah. can do that anywhere. We can do it with any of our 
um, leaders or educators or or whatever, but a doctor is a great one because we don't we don't get to see the doctor's reasoning. We just see the outcome in a great many cases, right? As opposed to the reasoning process. Yeah. So I don't know. Sometimes I think I'm maybe they think I'm too pesky as a I ask a lot of pesky questions as a patient. Well, maybe you do. Maybe I do, but they're critical thinking questions. Yeah, well, critical thinking questions are often pesky questions. <laughs> That's the problem. We're out there challenging authority to yeah. justify itself. Yeah. What uh, kind of patient are you? Who, me? Yeah. Oh, uh, what kind of a patient am I? Um, I think I'm really into the process once I acquiesce to the idea that there's going to be a process. <laughs> I think I really don't like any of it. Um, and then once we decide what's going on, I think I'm, I'm pretty easy because I don't, I know that I don't have a lot of knowledge here. And I also have a lot of faith in my particular team of doctors um, such that I, I think that they know that I don't wanna do anything that I don't have to do in terms of like a medical intervention that if I could, if I could just do it on my own with tea and meditation, maybe we could just try that. Like I would, I would give that a serious wow. effort. Wow. More like I, I could stretch more. There's no question. Um, so, so I think that, I think that once they tell me, yeah, I'm afraid, I'm afraid stretching's not going to cut it this time. Um, you need surgery. Yeah, then I'm like, okay, well, then, then let's let's go do it. So that's that's where I'm at. I I tend to try to, um, you know, I tend to try to follow the advice because I know I have big gaps, and I and I do ask those questions, and I don't um, I don't feel like I'm being pesky. I feel like this is something I have to know because it's about me. So I, I encourage everyone to be pesky like Patty with the doctors. Yeah. Um... You could, and you're not that kind of doctor. No, that's what I know. I know for sure that I'm not the, the right kind of doctor. So you're talking to me about knees and elbows. I say, yeah, okay. I, I see the diagram on the wall, but I've only been looking at it for three minutes. So I'm going to go ahead and take your advice. On that. And the thing All right. That I expect that my own expertise for whatever it's worth would be, I mean, it isn't, but I mean, I it would be great if it was also valued. And, you know, I, I just, I respect, when people have different areas of expertise. Mm, yes, I do too. Yeah. Um, okay, let's listen to some more. Some more, here we go. Yeah, so for example, one of the things as and, and your instructors and, and MDs and other professionals are experts and you're working with novices. So one lens is to think about how do I slow down my thinking to coach the thinking and reasoning process as an expert so that the novice, so I'm entering, I'm not throwing them in the deep end, we're wading in. And that's one of the hardest things for, you know, the curse of knowledge, right? The longer that you've been an, an expert, the harder it is to remember what it's like to be a novice. So, so one of the things you can lean into is slowing down and making your thinking process visible. So modeling the thinking process, that's the most, one of the most important things is I'm not just 
modeling. I'm not just questioning, right? I'm not starting. I can start with questions as a way to prime them mentally, but then I'm walking through those all, like I said, those intricate mental moves, making um, think aloud. So let me, let me give an example of when working with social work years ago, I think that was really helpful. So the social work faculty, when we started this critical thinking initiative, they said, we really need help with our students that go and do a practicum with social work because we they go out and they're doing this great work in the field. And we ask them every month to fill out a form to, to, to understand how they're growing and thinking and learning. Well, one of the questions was asking them about their experience. What was a like a significant moment this month in your practicum? Write about it, right? And discuss what, you know. And so students would just often summarize what, and they weren't really analyzing. And so we said, well, let's talk to you about how to make this a critical thinking prompt. So we, so they had a question where they, they wanted to get, ask students to talk about how they grappled with an ethical issue in their practicum. So we helped them change the prompt so that it said something along the lines of, consider an ethical situation you confronted this month. How did you know it was an ethical dilemma? Write the different options you considered about how to grapple with that. What did you decide to do and why? What questions did- I think that was a great one. Do you, cause you're an ethicist. So I'm like, I'm like, wow, Brian, like, does he like what I came up with? Cause you're the one with the ethics expertise. Oh yeah, I did like it because I think that, you know, Assuming we've all established what ethics is, as opposed to some other area of life where I might be challenged. Um, yeah, I think everyone could identify something like that. And I think if everyone really understood what, what we were talking about, then they could maybe even get something out of that sort of self-investigation of values. I mean, I think that that's, I think that's great stuff. Did you like my, rev my revision of the assignment? Yeah, what, what was that again? The one I just described, like instead of saying, you know, what did you learn this month in your practicum? But instead the revision, the critical thinking revision is identify an ethical uh, situation or dilemma. How did you know it was? Well, that's what, what I mean. Options? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I love that. That's, that's, that's the part that I really enjoyed was kind of making that available for anybody. I mean, I think that one of the problems is often critical thinking stuff in the university is just used to help answer some questions or whatever, right? Just uh, often yeah. quite trivial purposes. Um, but a lot of the yeah. value, as you and I know, um, that people get out of this is for their their lives outside the university, you know, for their, for their living. And so if we can bring it back to that, I think that that's going to be you know, really valuable for anybody to, to do that work. So I, I thought this was a really easy, um, easily accessible exercise. Like, I mean, people okay. even listening to our show might get something out of doing that. Yay. You don't Yay just me. have to be, you don't just have to be a, a whatever, a medical student. You huh? don't have to be a social worker or a medical student or ethicist to appreciate that. It's but forever. you can be, you can be. Sure, sure. If people wanted to do that and in those jobs. But no, I mean, I think this is really good. Uh, everyone ought to be thinking about these kinds of issues. And so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, right on. Do you want to add anything else to that? No, 
Oh, okay. All right. Let's get a little more. Did it prompt. So right there, you can see, right, it's a series of mental moves that professionals would often do very adroitly, right? Like, oh, okay, right, because you've got all this context and this foundation of experience. So one of the most important ways is learning, and that's a learned skill about making your thinking visible and modeling it for learners. That's the first step of the process. So, Patty, it would seem that that's going to be common whether you're training social work students, medical students, dental students, nursing students, anyone, that the process, modeling is modeling. Here's modeling something different for them. Maybe it's in a different context. And so that's a skill that a faculty member could use no matter who their learner is. Is that fair? Yes. Yes. A lot of the approach that we took with critical thinking and training critical thinking was that there's going to be core moves that are part of critical thinking that you're going to do, whether you're in the speed school, whether you're in the dental school, the medical school, right? That modeling for students is a teaching and learning core skill, but in critical thinking, it's particularly important because you're trying to teach the vocabulary of thinking and the moves of thinking, right? Because in your field, you guys have a lot of vocabulary and all that vocabulary though, helps them think about processes and the way the body works, right? And so it's how can we also be teaching these as concepts while we're doing the mental move, but it is these, that's a core move. Yes. So how do you tell if, you know, you might be using these skills with your learners, how do you tell if they are thinking critically or not? So glad you asked that, Laura, because that <laughs> alludes to one of the other core moves, which is you give them a novel situation to show their thinking through. You give them, right, if you walk through a patient or clinical case study with them and you're modeling it and you're talking about it and you're, right, and then the exam comes or you want to know if they're, and you give them the same case study Right, they're gonna they're gonna follow you. You don't want them to follow those moves for that. So you give them a novel scenario and you give them a series of questions or a series of mental moves, and you ask them. It's sort of like riding a bike. It's helpful to give them the set of questions and help them practice, and then make those questions and those scenarios more and more complex over time. Of course, you got to give them feedback, right? So you give them a novel scenario. You ask them to make their thinking visible in writing, verbally, whatever, but you can't see their thinking. They have to make it visible to you. Give them feedback and then you continue to build. So, so that's another core piece. Is that what you do as an instructor? Give them a novel situation? I mean, I think you have to work up to them, but I think as soon as we figure out what the rules are for this kind of thinking, then I think you do have to come up with novel situations. I remember our one of our mentors, Gerald Nozitz, used to talk about this when he was teaching logic classes, which I also started off teaching in philosophy. Um, in the logic classes, you have people follow exercises and those exercises are intended explicitly to map thinking processes. And so a lot of people imagine that they're excellent thinkers because they're able to perform exercises on exams that are very, very similar to the, you know, maybe hundreds of exercises that they were given in preparation for this exam. Right. And so what he found was when he would give 
you know, even very difficult um, exercises that were similar to the ones that had been used for preparation, people did great at. Like they're just they're just crushing it. But as soon as you give a really novel application that, you know, wasn't it's something that that where people are using the same thinking, but this kind of example was not used, then people do much worse. Um, the outcomes are 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 poorer in those cases. Um, and it's not just in logic. It's like that in all kinds of thinking assessment strategies in my experience mm, okay what do you think um yeah i i think giving a learner a novel situation to apply a concept or idea that you've been trying to give them it teach them is important but i think like you said you got to work up to it yep you got to like give them confidence and give them opportunities to practice in low stakes and, you know, um, so yeah, it's, it's a good principle of instruction. Well, and I think at some, to your point, I think sometimes there isn't time to work up to novel situations. So for example, you know, if I'm training somebody in a physical skill like martial arts or something, we might not really have time to get to novel situations. You know, building in all of the basics might take months or years of practice. And so to assume at some point that someone's going to be capable of just doing this thing because they've practiced these other things, yeah. um, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it, it, sometimes it just takes a little bit more work than that. And so we have to keep on with those basics. I know for myself, I mean, I needed a lot of repetition, you know, for a lot of basics, yes. a lot of areas. Yeah. Let's listen to a little more. A little more, a little more. I hope we hope that you folks are enjoying it. If you're not, if you really detest this, then you can reach out to us at Critical Thinking for Everyone on Facebook. We always love to hear from you, um, good, bad, or ugly. And so, uh, yeah, we'd love to know what you like so that you can perhaps um, help us plan new shows. You can affect our thinking about future shows. So thanks for that. And what if? question. So in pediatrics for us, the dramatic difference between six-day-olds and six-month-olds and six-year-olds and 16-year-olds in terms of almost every aspect of what they're at risk for and how their body handles it and which drugs to use and on and on. And, and so I could, in a clinical scenario, simply change the age and say, okay, take this same presentation and he's not six days old, he's 16 years old. What do you think differently about this? Are there other pathogens, different process, different drugs? How do you begin, begin to sort through this information? I'm just going to change the age. And, and so I think it can be fairly simplistic for faculty to do things like that, but they have to be thinking about the fact that they're doing it on purpose. They're doing it deliberately for a reason to push the learner into broadening this experience, for example, we had a baby this week, a six day old with an unusual eye infection. I could readily take that story and just change the age and change minor pieces of information about the story and then watch them think through it again and see how the gears work. But I do it on purpose so that I know that 
if something different showed up tomorrow, they're not stuck in six-day evaluation mode. They can do 16-month evaluation mode. And, oh, that's okay. And then watching that light bulb go off in them. But we we have to take that on. We have yes. to deliberately do that. That means we have to be thinking about our thinking. And that, that front-end definition you gave us all the thinking. Yeah, thinking about it. your thinking while you're thinking in order to improve it. Right. And answer the phone. <laughs> and talk to the mom. Yeah, right. I mean, it's in this chaotic environment this happens. But if you're mindful about the need for that, then it can be built in fairly readily. That's what we have found. Yes. And try to facilitate that for faculty on the health science campus. Jerry, that's a great example. And, and, uh, and I'm glad you said about the deliberative and intentional, because you're going to be thinking no matter what, why not make it intentional? Right, why not make it deliberate? And one move that people can make when they're in a scenario with so much going on is they can say to the parent or another clinician, here's how I'm thinking about it, or here's how I'm thinking it through. That's another synonym for critical thinking is thinking things. Here's how I'm thinking it through. So that does a couple of things. One, it, it slows down. It puts you in an opportunity to kind of talk through the mental moves as you're going, which sometimes then you go, well, as I say that, I think this, or right, and allows someone else then to enter their perspective in. It um, It also allows, as someone who's been, who is a patient of doctors, sometimes I will just simply ask, tell me, tell me more here, or what, what, what are you doing next? Or right, why are you thinking that? And I, and I really try to do it in a very information seeking way and not in a, right. Like I'm not questioning you. I'm wanting to know. And I, sometimes I get the impression that professionals don't get those kinds of questions. So you talked about modeling. You've talked about the types of questions and making your thinking visible. Um, what else can we do as faculty or people that work with our learners? What else can we do to help them move to be better at this clinical reasoning process? Well, especially because before we started recording, we talked about too, it can feel uncomfortable oh, for yes. learners to go through this process, especially if they haven't been practicing it deliberately. So how can we get them past yes. that? So good question. So I'll answer both of your questions. So, so one of the moves that you can do is you can manage expectations upfront mm -hmm. with the learners. I'm gonna ask you to think about things in a new way. It's gonna be uncomfortable. That's part of the learning process. You're used to mastery and, right, you're used to being very, you're very good at what you do, which is why you're here, right? And so I'm going to ask you to stretch your thinking in new ways. What do you think about that advice I gave about telling learners, priming them for being uncomfortable? Do you do yeah. that as a teacher? I do. I do. Yep. I tell them in the beginning that uh, it's going to be uncomfortable that we're going to try to get to ideas that people maybe haven't thought about very much. But I also like to point out that it's a lot like um, this critical thinking thing and, and learning in general um, is a lot like developing those physical skills like, you know, tennis or push-ups or something like that. You really, you know, you get into them and you do them and then you discover things that you're not really um, you know, that you didn't really know were, were there before. Have you tried to learn something new recently? Um, well, I, I had COVID-19 recently, and so I tried to go and uh, discover, 
kind of what the best ways were for me to operate under those circumstances. You know, you still have to do things like um, get groceries and, um, you know, occasionally go here or there. You still have to interact with some people from time to time. So I really started thinking a lot about what that really looks like because I'd I'd only been on the non-infected side before. So that was something I was I was trying to work through. Um, What's something you learned about it that you only by having COVID that you could appreciate? I think it was the extent to which there is a real question about the efficacy of things like masking and hand sanitizer and, and stuff like that. Maybe social distancing to some point, although that seems a little bit more obvious. It's you know, you end up with a question of how often do these things need to happen? How, to what extent do they need to happen such that I and other people feel safe, right? And there's no, and the risk is really minimized. You had to filter everyday decisions through COVID contagion that, and you didn't have to in the same way before. Right, right. There's a lot more precision. There's a lot more, um, focus on implications. Um, you know, my point of view definitely changed. Um, there's a lot more, there's a lot more, um, dissonance for me and maybe just having to operate without knowing, like having to come up with a degree of certainty that seemed like it would make sense, but really I'd rather have something epidemiological in order to base this on, but maybe right now I don't have any evidence of that type. So, um, you know, just having to live with that, um, knowing, you know, that I was contagious or whatever is just a, a, a different, um, standard, I think. Yeah. Are you glad you got it, got it over with? Oh yeah. I mean, I don't think, you know, nobody wants it. I don't, I hope. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it'll be back again, unfortunately, but, um, yeah, I'm happy to have, to be finished with it at this point. And so. you have the antibodies now. I mean, if they come, if they come with it, yeah, they do. <laughs> that's my they understanding. Do. Yeah. 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 And I don't, yeah. I, I, I can't tell about that either. That's just one of the problems. One of the problems generally with the medical stuff, right. Is explicitness. So it's like, where's the, where's the proof? Oh, well, it's in the statistical range and you can't see the test and you can't do the process. It's like, Oh, okay. I got it. <laughs> you can't see the antibodies, but you have them. Sure, sure. <laughs> when you don't, so I don't, know. I don't know. I'm sure you always do. I don't know. I'm not trying to be a naysayer for medical blah blah blah. Just you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're just you're just getting over it. Okay. All right. Should we listen to some more? We'll listen to a little bit more. Um, okay. For those of you who are uh, who are loving this, please remember you can get the faculty feed um, from HSC. This is from July 22nd of 2022 with Patty Payette dives deep into critical thinking splash um, splash indeed and you can get the rest of her um about the you know half again as much splash as we're giving you here um as part of uh, as part of that if you go looking for it on spotify or itunes or somewhere else so here's here's a little more though there's going to be some times where it feels a little bit unclear before it starts to come together so what i need you to do is be able to trust the process and manage your own uncomfortableness in the learning curve, 
right? And so talking about that up front and having a meta conversation about the process as you're teaching it. Okay, so we just went through a lot of information. Let's pause here. Let's see what was unclear. Notice I didn't say was anything un unclear. Assume and start with what was unclear. Let the learner know, right? What felt messy to you? What did I say that state that so you're you're actually coaching the learning process as you're engaging them in it? I think a lot of people don't like to do that. You know, a lot of teachers that I had, at least in yesteryear, they they didn't want to ever admit that they were wrong or create an opportunity. That something was unclear. Yeah, yeah, because it was always the expectation was if, if you didn't get it, it was really you. You know, well, yeah, I think of the education has kind of shifted. Yeah. To focusing less on the teaching and more on the learner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, yeah. There's actually there was an article that actually in the 90s that sort of was really important in the field that sort of laid that out. It's not about what you do, what you're doing. It's about what the people, how the learners receiving or it or not. Sure. But what do you do with the idea that maybe the learner is not maybe tracking really well, right? Maybe there's something wrong with the learner. Well, then that's something important for you to know. And the limits of your own abilities and what does this person need? Maybe it's not you. Gotcha. So it can't just be exceptional teachers and everybody just follows. It can't, they, they can't be the model. Yeah, no. Although some people are really good teachers and are really good at reading the room and knowing how it's being received and making adjust micro adjustments in the moment. Some, some people are really gifted at that. Hmm. Okay. All right. All right. We're going to get a little more. I just want to stop and ask about that. Right. Okay. It's a whole lot different than asking them what's the name of that artery, right? right. And they have to almost be warned because they may be used to they are what's used the name to. of that artery, not why is this person taking me down this road of this cognitive science and critical thinking? Why is that important? Setting it up the way you just did, where you prep them with this is how we're going to do it today provide some safety because none of them want to look bad. Right. They don't want to look like anything but stars, whether student or resident or fellow. And so explaining that it's okay to get something wrong. It's okay for something to not be clear. It's okay to ask about that. Don't stand there and play like you got it all when you don't have it all. And when we question that way, we get so much of a richer sense of what they really do know because you're, you're, it's like you're looking into their brain and seeing how the gears work and how they, where, where it gets off because you can see them to a certain point and then it goes, oh, oh, that's where you stop thinking about this way. Let, let, let's pick it up from there and go from there. So sometimes what I have to do is find out where they are and I'll ask yes. enough questions and wait long enough, right? Because yes. this is yeah. important to wait. <laughs> I'll ask enough questions that I get a sense of what they know and don't know. And then we start from wherever I think they are. The, I drive the bus to that spot and pick them up. 
and then we go. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm driving around by myself, and they're way back there, and they're not saying anything because they don't want to look bad. I don't want to look. They're just bad. hoping I'll stop at some right, point. Right, right, and, and that's such a wonderful metaphor. It's a wonderful way to describe it, and and we describe what you call this bottlenecks, right? In learning, teaching, learn bottlenecks. So it can also be helpful to say now there's typically some bottlenecks that you might experience in learning here. This and other. Right, students or fellows have really struggled with this or this, right? So you also normalize, right? That it's not a smooth, right? That this is, and I'm a teaching and learning expert and I still find myself in my life when I have to learn something new or I have to be uncomfortable, I, I push against it. I don't want, nobody wants that, but it's necessary. And so, so I love Jerry, your, your, um, all the and, and and also the more metaphors that you can use, the more that you can help people visualize, the more that you can sort of think because they a lot they can't keep all of this in their head. Patty, do you tell faculty to share with their learners the fact that their learning process and where they are now was not that smooth ramp up to stardom that they're seeing at this point, and that there were hiccups along the way and fell off the road at some point. <laughs> Do you tell them to tell their stories of failure, of learning failure? Yeah, we encourage faculty to display some authenticity and vulnerability in their own journeys so that students can see, I, I didn't become an expert without my own hitting a wall or roadblocks. And so absolutely, we, we, we want them to see professionals as learn who have their own learning journeys and and just to be careful that not everybody's going to have that same experience but but yes disclosing and creating that environment especially in high performing in environments is so <laughs> right there is all that imposter syndrome but right you know and and also acknowledging some of the thinking is going to maybe be easier for you and some, maybe some of you are going to latch onto this. Some of you might latch onto that and, you know, and making that okay too. It's okay to learn at different rates. Yeah, right. And some things are good. So, so talking about that learning process and being kind of a little bit of a Sherpa for them is really ah, important. I love that idea. One of our PDs here, program directors, she talks a lot about, um, you know, faculty providing the failure CV. Like, what are all the things that you failed at before you got to this point, like I passed out during my surgery clerkship or, you know, anything where they had difficulty. And here, this is where I messed up, guys. We're not all going to get there going the same path. So it's okay. Yeah, the fail forward concept. Yes. Yeah. I could certainly see connecting that back to clinical reasoning of like, here is where I had a patient like this when I was a resident. And here's how I went off course. And then talking through, you know, maybe what process should have been done. And I bet if you fast forward five or 10 years, those learners would remember that mm -hmm. scenario because again, it is so novel and different for them to hear a professional talking about that, that, that that's another sort of principle is the more that you can um, reach them and create scenarios that are outside of their typical learning that it sticks with them, right? You know, bringing, bringing in visuals to explain a concept. Ooh, five or 10 years or 20 years, they're gonna remember that visual when you taught homeostasis or whatever concept. So that's a really great 
point as well. We, we call that elaboration. So getting, you know, to elaborate on that concept where they can provide a metaphor, an analogy, a visual, or, you know, just have something that the learner can attach to, right? So what experience, you know, is similar? Ask the learner, what, what, what's similar to this, but outside of medicine or outside of nursing? like a roller coaster or is it like a, a locking key? Can they kind of come up with an idea that makes sense that's outside of this particular biology or, or process going on? For most clinicians, the world that we are called to teach in is not the ordered, stable classroom environment. We're teaching people in the context of providing care, in the context of responding to calls from the operator, calls from emergency department, parents' questions, and we have learners with us during all of that. And so that environment can be very hectic on any given day as distraction after distraction sort of piles up uh, around you. And so one of the things that we need to talk about is how does the busy clinician in that environment Take the time, because this takes time, rather than going patient to patient, okay, do this, do this, do this, next patient, do this, do this, do this, change this, stop that, operate on this one. Rather than that, what we're talking about today really takes a great deal of time to be mindful of it. That would worry me that they'd say, Jerry, great idea, Patty, thank you, but I don't have time for this. I, I just can't make that happen and see all these patients. That might be where everybody's at. We might be going, wow, what a long form bunch of stuff here that Patty's putting out here. Um, but you know, this is the material. This is the critical thinking stuff. This um, this uh, interview. I think I, I was right on. Do you I think, think this, yeah, I think this interview really hits a lot of important things. And I think it's great that you're able to make such an immediate and uh, obviously impactful connection uh, with the leadership over there at uh, Health Sciences Campus who are working on these same ideas. I think that that's terrific. Uh, we only have- Thank a, you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We only have a couple of minutes left. Do you want to follow up with anything before we just- uh, um, wrap up? I loved, you know, I just got to say, I love taking these concepts and putting them into the clinical and medical school context. And I, you know, like you, I love talking about this stuff and I just, I love any opportunity when I can, apply it and work with someone. Okay, how do we use this in your context? I love, I just, it's so enjoyable. Well, it seemed like an easy conversation for you to have for sure. It, it was, and you know, as you know, I also have a shout out to all my medical and health sciences faculty who helped me get there sure. over the years, right? Cause I don't live in that world. Right, right, right. There are several more minutes of this, uh, maybe almost 15 minutes left of this interview. And um, good stuff. Good stuff if you already liked it. Thank so. you, Brian. Thank you for suggesting that we do a little commentary on my podcast interview. Oh, yeah. Well, I thought it was great. Once I listened to it, I, I thought, well, this is absolutely what people need um, in terms of just bringing critical thinking down to earth and for my everyday thinking processes. So, yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. I'm glad we could share it. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening. And remember, we are committed to the idea that this stuff is for everyone. Even you.